Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Coming up on today's show, the RCMP and their use of spyware in the spotlight in our country. What do we need to know about this technology? What's going on with legal aid lawyers in Alberta? Job action? What do they need to see accomplished? And employees don't want to come back to the office. Some of them don't. Some of them do. Um, you know what? I mean, I think we all know this kind of technology exists, and there's very good reasons for it. It's a very powerful and useful tool, but... It's also a little scary in some ways. The RCMP um, called on to Parliament Hill in front of a committee uh, to testify about use of spyware and uh, their experience with it. And they revealed that they've been using spyware for 20 years. 2002 was the first time they used spyware. But they also went on to say that, uh, and this is the more um, interesting part, if not concerning part, is in the last couple of years... Um, Going back to about 2018, um, at least 10 instances they told us about. And then yesterday that changed to 32 investigations since 2017, targeting 49 individual devices where they use um, spyware that can not only give them access to texts and messages and things like that, but can also access the microphone and the camera on your smartphone some pretty high-level surveillance. So uh, do we need to be worried about this? We're going to chat with Dr. Tom Keenan now, who's a professor in the School of Architecture, Planning, and Landscape at the University of Calgary and author of the best-selling book, Techno Creep. Dr. Keenan, I understand you're in Australia, right? I am. I'm on the other side of the planet from you, uh, 15,000 kilometers away. Well, I really appreciate you doing this uh, all the way from down under. Thank you so much. Yeah. When we talk about this spyware, Dr. RCMP telling us they've been using it for 20 years in an effort, they say, to get around encryption. So 20 years, what do you think that tech started out as and what has it become today? You know, the funniest thing about this is the privacy commissioner, the federal commissioner, Philippe Dufresne, said he found out about it through the media. Yeah. So think about that. Here's the guy who's in charge of all of our privacy across the country, and he didn't know about this. So that's a little scary. Now, what caught him a little slack because he's new on the job. He just got there in June. But, you know, the reality is this is very powerful technology. I went through the complete database of RCMP press releases, and, hey, they never told us <laughs> that they were doing this. So it's one of those things that, you know, police do, and they say, well, we don't want to tell everybody what we do. But I kind of feel we should have known if they were doing this. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you there that at least they had access to this. What do you know about it? Like 32 times, 49 devices since 2017 where they can access cameras and microphones and texts and all the rest. What can you tell us about the tech that is available, that we do know about, that does exist? Technologically, there exists spyware that can do it all, that can get everything on your phone, that can turn on your camera without you knowing that's turned on. And the most infamous one is an Israeli company called the NSO Group. 
and the RCMP has denied that they are using that software, uh, we are pretty sure that countries like Saudi Arabia use it. There's a New York Times reporter named Ben Hubbard, and he worked together with a citizen lab at the University of Toronto at the Monk School, and they figured out that he was hacked through the NSO Group's uh, uh, software, and the thing about that's remarkable is you don't have to do anything to become a victim. A lot of spyware, you got to click on a link. You got to do something. Here, it's zero click. You just, uh, they make a phone call to you and you're infected. Now, that's the most powerful one in the world, but there are plenty of other ones. I have been actually at a conference where they were selling software to track your spouse, infect your spouse's uh, cell phone, and don't do it. It's a bad thing, bad thing to do. <laughs> so the reality is there's a whole range of these uh, software, but they say they weren't using the Pegasus, which right. is the NSO group product. Um, and they also tell us this was all done very limited in scope and scale. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. It's done with a warrant. There are restrictions on how long it can last. So they tell us there are legal safeguards. Should we all just say, oh, okay, that's good. Everything's fine then? You know, it depends on the judges. Okay, so um, they have to go to a court and they get have to you know convince a judge that there's a crime being committed, just like apparently somebody did about Mar-a-Lago, right? Hey, there's a crime being committed down there. We want a search warrant. Same type of thing here. Now, the question is, how savvy are the judges? I work with a lot of judges who are really tech savvy, and they're great, but all not all of them are, mm-hmm. and they may not fully appreciate what they're signing off on when they give this kind of authorization. I do believe, from what I've read about this, that they're using it for the right purposes, or they're using it when there's suspected terrorism or a big drug case or something like that. But what we found is that there's kind of a slippery slope. There's another technology called Stingrays that impersonates cell phone towers. And they caught a little small town police force in the U.S. using it to catch a guy who stole an iPhone. And this is only supposed to be for the big heavy hitter cases. So my fear is that if, you know, it works well for the big cases, they might start looking for the stolen iPhones with this. And that's not a good thing. So uh, do we need the government? I mean, obviously, this is a good step to have the privacy commissioner and the committee looking into this. Uh, We're getting at least uh, we're starting to learn more about it. But do we need government to put in some really strict guidelines around this? Yeah, I think we definitely do. I mean, there's some mention of uh, a concept called privacy by design, which we attribute to Anne Kavukian, who was the Privacy Commissioner of Ontario for several terms. And she said, you shouldn't graft on privacy afterward. You should think about it in the design. So in this case, what we really need to do is think about when the police should be able to do this. You mentioned that, you know, it has to go to a court, that it has to have a limited term and so on. But what's happened as a result of this whole story, and we're doing it right now, is people are getting a little more sensitive to what the capabilities of the police are. And that's actually a good thing. We don't really want to become a police state where they have tools like that they can do things to us and we don't know it. So now everybody knows yeah, your phone can be taken over, and hopefully we, we think we're protected well enough. I think the new privacy commissioner has a new job on his plate, which is to try to figure out how to keep the police 
at least accountable for what they do with this technology. And doctor, you mentioned, you know, us as private citizens are learning about what's out there and what these uh, programs are capable of. One of the interesting out of the testimony yesterday from Mark Flynn, who's the RCMP assistant commissioner responsible for national security and protective policing, told MPs on this committee, he said, hey, listen, from my position in national security, you guys should be concerned. You need to know that foreign states that are not Canada's partners absolutely utilize these types of tools and techniques. You should be aware that you're being targeted. I have very little doubt about that. Um, I imagine that was a bit of an eye-opener that, yeah, okay, we're talking about how we use this, but but other countries are using this possibly against our own MPs. Yeah, or, or against our MPs, against the RCMP, against all kinds of things. You might have noticed for many years, if you saw a federal minister talk, they were talking on a BlackBerry. And all their little fart catcher aides who were beside them, they all had BlackBerries. And there was a reason for that. The BlackBerry was designed with a great amount of security. Yeah. It was much more secure than the iPhone, than Android, and so on. Now, BlackBerry's gone in terms of that, so we have to rely on iPhones and Androids. And one thing people should know is there's always going to be a vulnerability. Every time a new iPhone version or iOS version comes out, there's going to be a little exploitable vulnerability. You can't get rid of all of them. That's what these things do. They go out there and they look for a weakness in Android or iOS, and they exploit it. And until it's plugged, Apple and and Google and everybody goes out trying to plug these. Um, But there's always a gap, and that's the gap where these things can happen. And really, there is no way we talk about protecting or making our... You can't, right? I mean, if you're carrying one of these pieces of technology, somebody's working on a way to get into it, right? Yeah, you should definitely assume that anything that's on your phone is grabbable. So if you have something that you really don't want other people to have, get it off your phone. Move it up to the cloud and secure it well or put it on a USB stick. An awful lot of people are carrying around stuff on their phone that they would find is embarrassing. And I will give you a particular point. When people cross a border, it's quite common now for the Canadian Border Service to look at your iPhone. And they may find stuff on there that uh, you didn't want them to see. So I always tell people, clean your phone before you go across the border. Heck of a good idea. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Doctor, always great insight. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So we've got the battle waging uh, between, um, well, it sounds like our justice minister and uh, a group of lawyers that help out with legal aid in this province, uh, and it seems to have come to an impasse. I'm not 100% sure what the next step might be, but I thought it'd be a good idea to get an update. We talked about this a week or two ago. We're going to chat now with Daniel Boisvert, who is a criminal defense lawyer in Edmonton and president of the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, let's just start um, by uh, sort of summing up the impasse to start. What, what is the issue here that seems to have brought all this to a head? Um, Well, the issue here is the chronic underfunding of Legal Aid Alberta and then what they're able to use um, to budget within their um, 
envelope to pay for the roster lawyers who perform the services based on certificates. Um, so it's a per client, per matter certificate-based system. Um, and then also the financial eligibility guidelines on which are the cr- criteria that the public qualify for those services. So the budget to deal with those two most important broader issues of funding um, are or what it is are at issue here in the sense that we are asking um, the, the provincial government, the Minister of Justice Shandro, to uh, restore the budgetary shortfalls from the last two years. It's almost a $55 million shortfall, um, and perhaps even enhance it, but at the very least restoring it in a way that will allow legal aid to perform its modernization of its tariff that it has undertaken to do this summer with the proper funding. Um, we, we're at an impasse now. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it, unfortunately. So there was a meeting with the minister. Other meetings have been offered, but from what I've read, it's sort of like, well, why have a meeting, right? Because the funding, like that piece of it, is not even something that can be discussed. So reworking the framework and stuff, how can you do that when you don't have the funding, right? That is exactly it. It, it really seems like the legal aid and the government are putting the cart before the horse um, and trying to, you know, put something together without really forecasting and putting a business plan together for what they expect that it's going to cost. So they're almost trying to, to fit a square peg into a round hole by trying to fit this modernized tariff within an antiquated budget. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so now job action has begun. Um, how, do, how does that work? I know there's a few different levels of it. Just walk us through the steps that you're taking and uh, how that'll happen. Certainly. Um, so right now it's uh, day two of our stage one, uh, mostly a small scale action where we're simply withdrawing our services to assist in uh, what we call appearance or docket court with duty council services and not taking on a, a Type, other similar types of certificates that are very small um, certificate-based but are also very important certificates providing people that are otherwise unrepresented um, either at trial, either as a, an accused or as a complainant, and then people in appearance court trying to figure out how to navigate the system from the uh, first stages of the system and first entering into the system. The next stages may involve a, a larger withdrawal of services uh, with that yet remain to be uh, determined what that will look like. And Danielle, when you talk about removing those services, that means your groups that assist Legal Aid Alberta will not be offering those services, but Legal Aid, that pool, that actual program still exists, right? Absolutely, yes. Um, But Legal Aid has uh, a couple of hundred staff lawyers um, some of them are in administrative or management positions. Um, I'm not sure how many of those couple hundred are, are on the ground um, lawyers that go out and work in the right. court rooms. There are many of those that, that act as full-time duty counsel. Um, but, of course, it doesn't cover all of the shifts. So there are a number of roster lawyers, of which there are 1,200 in Alberta, that assist by taking uh, what are called ad hoc duty counsel certificates. Um, to cover off when the staff duty council aren't able to cover those shifts. And in some of the busy courtrooms, it's often to duty council because you have many people that are there unrepresented on their own out of custody, and then you have a whole other group of people that are in custody still um, waiting for a bail hearing or a guilty plea that need that immediate help from a duty council as well. So obviously then the, the, the ramifications of this would be delays, would be people um, not having 
you know, timely representation. They may get it at some point, but it's going to take longer. Uh, is that the, the biggest concern that Albertans might be facing here? Um, yes, it's it, it's that, and it's the overall increases um, of the cost to the justice system as a whole when the justice system is dealing with self-represented litigants as opposed to litigants that have the assistance of experienced, right. knowledgeable counsel. So how, is there a resolution in sight, Daniel? Like you said, uh, there's been meetings with the minister before, but like you say, the, the, the key element that you see as being necessary to move this forward doesn't seem to be on the table. Uh, what's the next step here? Well, we're happy to know that we have the support from many large organizations, um, and that has certainly increased our solidarity. Uh, we now have all four criminal defense organizations um, on board with this action, and, and we were all four of us uh, presidents at the table with the meeting. Um, and we have many roster lawyers who are not um, def- not paying members of our organizations that have expressed their support, and they are also getting on board with the the job action, uh, such as we call it. We're not a union, but mm-hmm. our our efforts to show the government that unrepresented people um, don't work, and that our function is crucial, um, but that it needs to be properly funded to make that work. Um, having a group of, of lawyers, just as the crowns expressed back in the spring, having a group of lawyers that are overworked, underpaid, that are dealing still with the ongoing stresses of COVID. Um, And for defence lawyers, that's even more so because many of us couldn't bill out any files to legal aid during that time. We couldn't bring home any money. We don't have salaries, unlike Crown prosecutors, unlike judges, unlike clerks. Um, so we have uh, have members who are financially suffering as a result of the last two years, and yet they still stand up and, and fight and show their solidarity in our cause. Okay, so the last meeting was when? The last meeting was just yesterday morning. Yep. It was the first meeting. Um, we have been offered another meeting in a few weeks, and, and we will schedule it. Uh, we are hopeful. Okay, that will go ahead, yeah. even though you're not optimistic. We're, we're, we're always... Uh, Cautiously optimistic, okay. perhaps, yep. that um, that as we proceed with these um, steps, that the government will realize that we cannot wait till 2023, that they need to find a way to make this happen now. They need to do something, and we've provided them with a few ideas of what they could do now um, to ex- to show um, that they take this issue seriously, uh, to give a show of good faith to the 1,200 roster lawyers that help underprivileged and uh, and poor Albertans that qualify for our services. Okay, Daniel, thank you so much for the update, as always, and uh, we'll continue to follow this as it goes along. Thank you. discussion about whether or not you need to be in the workplace to be your best as an employee and as a person and does the company need you there i mean there's it's and it's a hot debate malcolm gladwell one of canada's great thinkers and authors and he's got a podcast that is fantastic uh, revisionist history um got himself well, in the center of a controversy, because some people agree with him and others don't, and, and that's the the point. But he was on this podcast talking about this return to work discussion, and he said, quote, if you're just sitting in your pajamas in your bedroom, is that the work life that you want to live? We want you to have a feeling of belonging and to feel necessary. And if you're not here, it's really hard to do that. Now, a lot of people jumped right back and said, are you crazy? Come on. But 
There's an argument to be made on both sides. We're going to have a discussion now with Dr. Elaine Chin, who is the founder of Executive Health Center. Her latest book is Welcome Back, How to Reboot Your Physical and Mental Well-Being for a Post-Pandemic World. Uh, Dr. Chin, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a really interesting discussion. And like I said, there are a number of different viewpoints on this. But when we talk about a return to the office, um, let's go through the, the, the pros and the cons. If we're going to draw up a list in terms of the cons and why some people don't want to go back, there are some people who, who are not ready to say this pandemic is over, right? They still have, in many ways, legitimate concerns about the virus itself. Absolutely. That's a good place to start. And even if the virus isn't going to, quote, kill us anymore, I think what people don't recognize is the unconscious bias that there's still some fear, um, and I would call it a type of post-traumatic stress disorder, that maybe I'm going to go back to work and the person beside me um, might get COVID. And I don't know, maybe the next round is going to make me sicker and I'll be the one that has the short end of the stick and get really sick and maybe end up in the hospital and get long COVID. Mm -hmm. Or um, I might have had COVID once, and if I have it again, I'm going to get long COVID again. And then there's the the purebreds. It's like, all right, um, I might be strong, but if I give it to somebody else and they have somebody that's weak and frail at home, did I kill that person? So that's the COVID uh, experience, like the bug itself. And then as you've uh, alluded to, um, there are other practical things now about commutes. We used to make it yep. a part of our lifestyle, but it was never a healthy lifestyle. Um, I would say out west, there's less traffic in certain cities than uh, where I am located in Toronto, though um, the traffic's nowhere near the way it used to be. And the recent inflationary experiences and truly the lack of options for interesting lunches are all gone, right? So it costs us more. And I I think everybody will say, what do I go back to work for and how do I go back to work and do I need new clothes and how do I behave? Do I handshake? Do I fist bump? Um, And and the question we need to answer before we go back to work full-time in an office is why. So that's the kind of question. So to start it there, to give you back some space around asking me some more things about which way we want to go with this conversation. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point. There's a there's a lot of reasons that people can make an argument on both sides of this. I guess if let's let's take it from the other side and not necessarily mm-hmm. the employee, but the employer taking a look mm-hmm. at this. And, you, you know, uh, wh- where what's their drive to get people to come back? The companies that are pushing for that, what do they see as the upside to to having people in the building? So for those who are business bugs um, and interested in the data, McKinsey just uh, published an article in July talking about social capital. That's different from human capital, financial, learning, things like that. Social capital means that you need to create connections yeah. to improve productivity because you'll trust the other person beside you to, if you know them better, and you speak to them enough that you'll know who's going to do what implicitly to some degree. Uh, just like in your radio show, I'm sure implicitly you know that some of your team members will get it done because For sure. you know them, right? You're yep. in the studio with them. Um, and with so much change over the last two years with teams, the bonding does matter, right, for creativity. The bonding does. Now, if you're in a cubbyhole before, 
and we know there's different jobs that are like that, and you're in customer service staring at a computer all day and night anyways with a headset on, now how much value are you adding to the social connection conversation? Now I'll pause there because the social connection also is important for mental health, and not many people like me to compare human genetics to chimpanzees and apes, but we're a descendant from them. Sure. And if you've ever gone to the zoo, you'll see that chimpanzees are extremely social human, well, sorry, very social beings, right? And we need each other beyond our family and our pets to thrive, to grow, to learn from others, right? Mm -hmm. To to see other people's opinions because we can shut that off. We don't like we put on mute (laughs) or or turn off the Zoom altogether. I'm a walking example of that where I I know full well how beneficial it is for me to go back to work simply because of the things that you're talking about because I don't have an internal drive for that. And I get that from the people that I work with and the guests that I talk to and things like that that really enrich my life where otherwise I'd very quickly slip into the other side of that. So I fully understand what you're saying. It seems to me, Doc, that what we're talking about, like you're saying, different companies have different drives and they have different needs. Different employees have different drives and different needs. It's going to be a hybrid, right? That's what we have to have is that flexibility. Yes, I, I think that's where it's going to end up now. And in, unless another traumatic experience happens, I think that's where we're going to be. We're going to land in hybrid. Yeah. And I think it makes sense um, because it's just not every day we need to uh, see each other every day, and it, we'll say that we'll say this: if if our children go away to school, which mine did for many last couple of years in university, I think we have a better relationship when we see each other once in a while mm-hmm. than when he was in high school, locked up in his room with his friends, <laughs> right? And if do you have any um, children? I have I have an eighteen year old and I have a twenty one year old, so I know oh, exactly you what you're so talking about. We're in the about. same bucket, right? So. Um, as a mom, it's like, oh, we used to like, are you serious? You're still hungry, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you, if you see people and you haven't seen them in a while, it becomes a positive experience in the interaction. And you, and you kind of reflect and you share new experiences. And in a world that you are in, in communications, and in the world that we're in, that we're talking about, which is the business environment and the troubles we're having globally, right, Um, that we keep listening to the things we agree with and we forget to listen to the things that we should disagree with, the only way this is going to happen is have occasionally uncomfortable conversations. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all works out. But the one thing I think we should... We should remove from this doctor is the discussion like Malcolm Gladwell saying, we need you to feel belonging and necessary so you can be a contributing member to the team. We learned through the pandemic, you can be a contributing member of the team without sitting in an office for or in a cubicle for eight hours a day, right? We've proven that. Yes, absolutely. I think um, that the data is also objective, right? We we can get our jobs done and maybe even more, like work harder than we did when yeah, we were yeah. sitting at a desk. Because I think the water cooler can kill 30 minutes of your day very easily um, and go down to the, the lobby to get, to get a coffee and yeah. line up for 30 minutes, right? Um, so Malcolm, I think what he's saying, and it's a very much um, another model to say that in order for you to um, feel worthy, you need other people to tell you you're worthy. 
And it can be done without you having to go to the workplace. And this is where I think the 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 conversation has to go from we, we can't just create a social environment, but it needs to physically be um, um, thought out mm-hmm. and intent and there's an intent yes. in terms of when you bring somebody back to the work with other colleagues, there's an intention to network socially uh, for a productive reason uh, and not to have everybody come back so they go back into their cubicles. That's the point. That that absolutely, Doctor Chin. I think that's that's the key takeaway. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.